This is the Ancient Texan. It's a Monday morning, cloudy, um, ground still wet from showers we got over the weekend. The podcast today is about the good effects of global warming. When I first uh, started hearing about global warming a couple of decades ago, I started asking, what are the good effects of global warming? Uh, some of them, just from my science background, were obvious. We're going to evaporate more water. There's going to be more rain. Um, some climates are going to get warmer, more suited for growing crops. Turns out Russia is a huge benefactor in this. They're going to be able to produce a lot more crops. But there's some stuff I didn't know. And I didn't hear much good news about global warming. And I'm always suspicious as hell when I'm only hearing one side of an argument. And I know from a lot of experience that there's pluses and minuses to almost everything you do. Uh, And so there's some bad effects for global warming, which we get bombarded with. Maybe there's some good effects that we're not hearing about, for whatever reason. So I'm kind of going search for that. I found some retired uh, scientist, I think his name was Dawson, but he led me to other people. And I found out some stuff that is like really, really amazing. And my searching around and listening to uh, YouTube videos uh, led me to a guy named Matt Ridley. Well, the first thing you're going to point out is that he's a conservative and his family owns coal mines. Okay, let's accept the fact that uh, what he says might be biased. But he's going to be pulling facts from... The body of facts that are out there and using them to construct an argument. So we can look at what he says and take into the account that he might be biased and kind of do a little thinking on our own and take the good parts of what he says and ask ourselves, why haven't we heard this before? And he also brings in a theme that um, is a very important theme, that people have to get fairly rich before they can afford to do the things like renewable energy. And not all renewable energy and green energy is good. Because, you know, the world's a complicated place and you have to take the individual circumstances into account and there's just no magic bullet that fixes everything keep that in mind okay pat ridley you can i'm sure you can find his talk on on climate change and i i went through i i was impressed enough that i i've got four pages of notes here 
And most of the stuff that he's saying is easy to find and verify. And some of his conclusions, I think, are a little suspect because he's got a, you know, point to make. Uh, justify his family still owning coal mines, which I don't think he can data quite push you there. But the data really should make you think. I mean, it's this is good stuff I'm talking about here. The planet is getting greener because of CO2. That's a fact. It's easy to verify. A guy named Charles Keelan first measured CO2, and he noticed that in the summertime, CO2 levels would actually drop, and in the wintertime they would rise, and he, he was wondering what the hell's going on with that. So you have a general upward progression of, of CO2 caused by fossil fuels, and no one's denying that. But there was an oscillation in the data. He wondered what that could be caused by. And he surmised it might be caused by, in the summertime, plants consume CO2. We learned about that in Biology 101. Those that took biology. There's something called the Normalized Vegetation Index. It's something that's tracked via satellites, and they actually keep track. If the world is getting greener, is there more vegetation? What's happened over the last couple of decades? 20.5% of the planet, 20.5% of the areas with vegetation are getting greener, and those green areas are expanding. 3% of places on the globe are getting browner. Which leaves a lot of places kind of not doing anything. Now, the condition for them to get greener is, is, is two factors. There's got to be enough nitrogen in the soil that allows plant growth. And if it's limited by nitrogen, then more CO2 won't help it. But if there's enough nitrogen in, in the soil, or there's plants putting nitrogen into the soil and renewing the nitrogen, um, if you increase the CO2, then it increase the amount of plant growth. Well, it, it's not a it's not a small effect. A 200 ppm increase in CO2 gives you a 30% increase in plant growth. That's, that's like huge. Imagine 30% more food in the world. So we're not talking about a little insignificant thing. And why haven't people been pointing this out to us? Is it, is it from farming? Is that where we're getting greener? Nope. Farming has a very minimal impact on this. The amount of farmland is actually shrinking. 
over my lifetime, the amount of farmland has, has significantly shrunk. Right now, I'm jumping ahead of myself, that data. We'll come back. So where is the, where is it getting greener? It's not farmer, and forests are getting a little greener. But the big places are places like the Amazon and the middle of Africa on the edge of deserts. There's a guy in Austin, I didn't catch his name, a scientist there, Austin University, studying um, why and where exactly things are getting greener. So the Sahil region in Africa is getting wetter and greener. So part of it turns out that it's getting greener also because there's more rain. Duh. Whole planet's getting more rain. More rain makes things grow. Assuming there's nitrogen, good soil, get rain, my grass turns green. It's not a hard thing to verify. So this this the planet is getting greener because we are burning fossil fuels. Let that sink in a while. The growth of plants is up 30% because we are burning fossil fuels. Doesn't that like make you uneasy? The story we've been told about global warming. It's all bad. It's all evil. It's the earth, the world is ending, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Two hundred ppm of CO two increase in the atmosphere results in a thirty percent increase in plant growth. If if the soil is decent, you got enough nitrogen. In our lifetime, the amount of food per person on this planet has increased. By 20%. Wow. That's a lot of food. If you're a hungry person. That is a lot of damn food. Because you know who. Gets cut out. When the food supply decreases. So not us rich cats in the states. With a per capita. What is it? 35,000. 40,000 bucks a year. Nope. Not us. People in Africa get cut out. So there's 20, 25% more food per capita in the world. Increase since I've been alive. People live 30% longer on average. Good things happening in the world. It's not doom and gloom. 
there's some good stuff happening. Since 1960, there's 65% less farmland in the world. Why? Because we don't need it. What happens to that farmland? It goes back to nature. The woodpecker has a place to live. Little bunnies and deer and antelope get to play. Elephant has a tree to eat. Think about that. <clears throat> That's not little stuff. That is big stuff. Really big stuff. They have something called a crop production index that's maintained and you can look it up on the internet. And it shows that there's 30% less land being used now for growing crops than in 1960. Not bad. Gave a lot of birds and animals a place to live because of that. There's a belief, not yet verified, that we passed peak farmland. You know, like they used to have peak oil. The oil production was going to hit a peak and then fall off. Uh, that is kind of dubious because America came along with fracking new technology and kind of messed up that curve. But there, you know, there may be a new peak because every technology has its limits. Doesn't mean something else won't be created, but um, peak oil production is a little suspect because it assumed that stuff saves the status quo. So, peak farmland may not be true, but that's what it looks like right now. Um, we're going to have to do something to really disrupt things, and human beings are quite capable of doing that kind of stuff. And one of them right now that we're doing to really screw that up is biofuels, but we're not going to cover that very much this talk, because you're going to get tired of listening to me. Right now, the global use of the planet's land, 38% is used for farming. If you got rid of nitrogen, like we put using fertilizer in the ground, that would have to jump up to 82%. Not many homes left for our friend the woodpecker. Get your head around that. That that's that is not trivial. That is huge. It's not a lot of this data that where it's just like sparsing little tiny little numbers. These are big numbers. 
it turns out that as an area's or a country's income increases, you start going moving from deforestation to forestation. You start going from screwing up the the planet really bad and stripping it bare to the planet actually starts healing. There's many examples and we'll do some here before we're finished. So if you look around the world at places where the economy is improving and look at the amount of forest growing there, Bangladesh, Vietnam, Dominican Republic, and UK, America. In, in New England, um, back at the beginning of my lifetime, it was 70% farmland. Now it's 70% woodland. Are they making less food? Nope. All that land has gone back to forest. And our little bunnies and woodpeckers are much happier. They have homes. Sounds pretty damn important to me. Well, there's there's also thing, you know, about the sixth extinction on the planet that we're killing a lot of species. Most of those species are being killed on the islands where we're introducing things like rats and disease because the people came along and we're introducing, you know, predators that aren't not native to the to the islands. And if you consider Australia an island, it's a good example of, you know, we've introduced cats and dogs and even the dingoes, uh, foreign animals. So we're wiping out a lot of species because we let in, you know, new species and things have gone amok. But excluding the islands, which is probably not a fair to exclude the islands, we've only lost 19, nine species of animals, not counting subspecies, but nine species of animals since 1500 on all the planet that's not islands. If you count the islands, we've lost hundreds of species. But it looks like the mass extinction is like running out of steam and things are starting to reverse. Why? Because where you have economic growth, people typically move off of the farm. They use nitrogen on the farm. And the land, Mother Nature reclaims the land. There's a, there's an island, Spitsburg Island near North Hole, and our friend uh, Matt Ridley told a little story that he, you know, a couple of decades ago, uh, went to this island and worked there and lived in tents, and there's a little hut near uh, where he lived, and he recently tried to go back there, and when he was there, they didn't worry about bears, because there was no bears on Spitsburg Island. It's, if you look on a map and you want to find it, it's it's to the east of Greenland. Pretty good sized island. It's not big compared to Greenland, but it's a pretty big 
island. Well, <clears throat> 30 years, in his 30 years, he wanted to go back to something called the Pluto Hut that he knew about. Take a bunch of his friends and relive his past. <clears throat> well, it turns out, they told him he couldn't go there because the, the hut had been destroyed by bears. And it was not safe to go on this island anymore because the bear population, old bear population, was overrunning the island. They've completely wiped out some some places that the islands near there where, you know, geese used to breed. And, you know, it's tough luck for the geese now because the bears come and eat all their chicks and eggs. It's actually kind of a excess polar bear problem. And in that same area, and in fact in the Arctic, seals are increasing. Seals population, walrus, white whale, in general the life in the Arctic is expanding and growing. I haven't verified this yet, but that's a big claim. We ought to know if it's true or not, and why it's true. The Antarctic, it turns out that penguins, uh, fur seals, whales, populations have all had a big surge. It's mainly because we're using fossil fuels instead of hunting the whale for its oil. And we've quit killing the penguins. We don't hunt them anymore. And nature has restored life there. And what's enabled that is fossil fuels. We don't need to be killing these animals. Okay, let's let's take a look at this claim. And this is just a you know anecdotal, but um, there's a whole school of thought that what we need to do is help poor people get out of poverty, and they'll do more for climate change than our current path. That's a big claim, and we shouldn't dismiss it until we've done a lot of thought and a lot of study and a lot of debate. Let's look at the island of Hispanolia. 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 Pardon my Latin or my Hispanic pronunciation. On the west side of that island, it's divided in half, the country of Haiti exists. On the right side of that island is the Dominican Republic. Haiti has an average income of $1,200 per person per year. One of the poorest places on the planet. The Dominican Republican, the Dominican, Dominica Republic, am I saying that right? Has an average income of $7,300 gross domestic product per person. So the Dominican half is richer, like six times 
richer. What do they use for fuel on the Haiti size? They use a renewable fuel. They grow trees, make charcoal, use that as fuel. So they're using a renewable energy source. Guess what? It's 98% deforested. And the forest, it's possible to go down from, you know, 2% forest and lower. That's what's happening because they're consuming all the trees for their fuel supply. Now let's jump on over to the Dominican Republic. They import fossil fuel, propane mostly. There's a whole nother talk here going to come on propane. I was not aware and propane is pretty environmentally friendly. Everything's got a ranking. So, you know, just because something's renewable doesn't mean it does more or less harm. That's kind of a little bit independent assessment. And it's it's not simple, it's nuanced. And we can't buy this religion that everything that renewable is good, because it isn't. Well, they import propane and they subsidize it for cooking. And guess what? They've quit cutting down their trees in mass and their forests are expanding in the Dominican Republic. Why? Because they're importing fossil fuels, propane. Right next door in Haiti, they're cutting the trees as fast as they grow. Hmm. They're also the forests are expanding the Dominican Republican because we're putting CO2 in the air. 30% more growth because of the CO2. Wow. Doesn't that kind of get sticky with what you've been hearing about climate change? I mean... Why haven't you heard about this before? You know, me and my 10 listeners now are going to go out and change the world. And what's the main cause of deforestation in the Dominican Republic? They're cutting timber and selling it abroad. Where's one of the places they're selling it? To England, which is encouraging the use of wood renewable energy for power plants and they're expanding power plants in England for making their electricity isn't that a kick in the shins so let's just drive that point home if you wanted to help Haiti Get their forest back. What would you do? One, help them raise their standard of living. That's a whole, you know, complicated process. Starts with education and industrialization. 
And to do this industrialization, you probably need fossil fuels, liquid, natural gas, propane. You need energy. Some of that can be renewable. Some of that can be solar. Some of that can be windmills. But you need a stable power supply like you get from nuclear power. You need electricity to run your manufacturing plants. And you need an educated workforce. But you know what you could do right now? Like instantaneously reverse the situation. You could supply them with propane for cooking. You could supply them with a fossil fuel for cooking so they'd quit cutting down their trees for their energy source. An energy source is absolutely essential to any kind of industrialization, increase in standard of living. It's like you can't do it without a stable energy source, period. I work in, you know, helping people get chemical metallurgical plants up and running. It's just a given. You give me an energy source, and you can pretty much figure out how to make anything. Get a stable energy source. Electricity is amazing. Electricity is amazing. Throw in some natural gas, make a little fertilizer, make a lot of stuff out of natural gas, or, or natural gas supplies the energy to make another chemical process run. It's not the only thing, but it's pretty amazing. Liquid natural gas, propane, nuclear energy, electricity, that's the kind of stuff you need. And if, with that, you can generally import or take from your own country, preferably, the raw materials to make all sorts of stuff. Without that, you're kind of screwed. So right now, if you want to help Haiti and reverse the deforestation there, it's actually like start over with the forest because they've already they've basically chopped down all their whole forest. You furnish them with fossil fuel. And if you want to start stop the deforestation that the... There's a plus and a minus going on in Dominican Republic. And one, the forest is getting bigger because of CO2, but is getting whacked at by people that are selling timber. And I suspect the timber selling can outrun the, the CO2 enhancement. And the timber is being used for, you know, building houses and stuff, which is good too. But it's also being used to be burned for energy. <laughs> what a st stupid set of conditions. So, I'm, I've got a lot more to say on this subject. But I kind of want to summarize what we're saying here, which is not 
what we're hearing. The quick, quickest way to a green world. The quickest way to get our planet greener. One, eliminate poverty. Get people's, we're not talking about making people rich by our standards. Get their income above $4,000 a year. And we, number two, you want to put it, it's actually restate number one another way, is you stop the starvation that's happening on the planet. If you want to eliminate poverty, stop the starvation. And number three is... Um, provide good nutrition for the kids that are alive. Their intelligence and their ability to make contributions later in their life depend on them having nutrition when they're young. Is that asking too much? Are we going to just sacrifice those kids for future kids that might die because of global warming? So, another way to put this to eliminate poverty is you have to supply poor countries with a low cost, first, well, first they have to have the energy, and then it's preferable, preferable if it's low cost. Methane makes a good one, liquid natural gas, you can throw in some windmills and some solar farms. Throw in a nuclear, a small nuclear power plant. The kind of the, that China are developing. The kind that we're talking about developing in the U.S. And you can supply those, you know, to help them on that journey to have food and nutrition. You might consider giving them some nitrogen. Nitrogen fertilizer. And, this is a real irony, but as we keep burning fossil fuels, we're increasing their food production 30% for every 200 ppm of CO2 that we go up. Isn't that a kicker? So, this, the opposite of that is that we spend trillions on renewable that could have been spent in getting people out of poverty. That kind of goes against the grain, doesn't it? We could reduce the amount of nitrogen fertilizer like Canada's doing. Like the people in Holland have to quit growing beef and have to reduce the amount of nitrogen they use in their farms. It's going to put them out of business. And they're already the most, one of the most efficient 
farmers on the planet. But Holland's passing rules, they have to reduce the amount of nitrogen they're using in their farms. Just across the board, not figuring out if it's good or bad. They just decided, the bureaucrats, that's a good thing. The farmers are kind of revolting because they're saying our farms are being taken from us because we can't survive. It's like it's in their own benefit to know how much nitrogen they need to keep in business. So we're taking a lot of things in the name of going green. And we'll do another whole podcast on biofuels. But we're really going off the deep end there. So, our temptation is going to be to dismiss, you know, this narrative that's presented by, what's this guy's name? Matt Ridley, because he's a conservative, he's a, owns, his family owns coal mines since 1700. Some of the stuff, if you listen to his podcast about substituting, you know, coal instead of wood, well, that's crap. Substitute natural gas instead of wood, that's not crap. But the data he's using... For instance, the data that shows the planet is getting greener is readily available. Normalize Vegetation Index. Look it up. Read your heart to your heart's content. What that means and shows the planet's getting greener. Because of fossil fuels being burned and raising the CO2 level. It's getting greener, same plot of land, grow 30% more stuff on it. Assuming you don't cut yourself off at the knees by getting rid of nitrogen fertilizers. So, why is it that we don't hear debates and hear... Both sides of the story. One is very political. And two, it's climate change and what we need to do is becoming a religion. And we're buying off on policies and political decision made by people that know a whole lot more than the relevant scientist. I don't put myself in the, you know, client, climate experts. But I do know quite a bit about, you know, what it takes to industrialize, to build chemical and metallurgical plants, and I do understand you can't do it without a stable energy supply. And with a stable energy supply, you can do about anything. 
make that affordable, stable energy supply, you can become prosperous. Now I want to give you a chance to digest what we've just said here because it's some big stuff and it's important stuff. We'll do some more podcasts on the other side of the story for climate change. This is the Ancient Texan. Hope I'm making you think. Have a good one. Namaste.